Yeah, our model is come to my church. Let me right. show you what we do rather than come to my church and we're going out to do. Right. Which is kind of biblical. So, uh, and because the culture is where it is now, increasingly antagonistic, you know, it used to be, is Christianity true? And now is, is Christianity good? I mean, mm-hmm. so we've got a whole different discussion. And unless the culture sees the church being that church outside, the, the witness isn't going to matter. Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where men rediscover courageous masculinity. Pull up a chair as we gain strength from the stories of God working in the lives of ordinary men today. These men have discovered that in a world of superficiality and isolation, we need authentic brotherhood to gain strength for the battles we face every day. Brought to you by the ministry of CLC, which challenges men to an uncommon pursuit of Christ, welcome to Empowered Manhood. Hey guys, welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Mike Hatch. I am the National Relationship Generator for CLC, and along with me, my faithful co-host, speaker, and author, Chris Bollinger. Um, We got a great episode for you today. Before we jump in, I've got a special announcement that I'm really excited about. Today is a special day. Today, April 20th, 2022, is the official release date for my buddy Chris Bollinger's brand new book called 52 Weeks of Strength for Men, another daily devotional uh, for men. And uh, you can go deeper with 52 Weeks of Strength for Men. Each week, you start with seven Bible passages on an important topic. Then comes a rich devotional that you'll want to read more than once, that's for sure. Chris has just a way of words and connecting with men uh, that came out in the in the Daily Strength for Men devotional that he wrote as well, previous to, to this book. But after a short but powerful prayer, you get a set of challenging questions to move your head and heart. Nothing here in this book is shallow. The 52 relevant topics are grouped into four areas of exploration between the nature of God... God in the day-to-day, big topics, tough topics. Read it on your own, and you'll strengthen and deepen your faith. Grab some buddies, and you'll see how iron sharpens iron. So dive into the 52 Weeks of Strength for Men and enrich your life with God's Word every day and every week with Chris Bollinger's new book. I'm excited to announce it. It's been something we've been waiting for for a while, and it is finally here. I'd encourage you to go to to, uh, Amazon.com, pick up your copy. I'll have um, links in the show notes for you to be able to do that. And uh, and enjoy, enjoy, and give feedback. It always helps also as an author that you give uh, reviews on Amazon too. That's another thing I'd ask you to do for Chris. That would be super helpful. All right, so on today's show, we have a special guest, uh, Stuart Kellogg. And Stuart is the author of The Post-COVID Church, an action plan to thrive, not just survive. Stuart is a retired TV executive who now focuses on Christian ministries, a graduate of Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communication and Wesley Biblical Seminary. Since the spring of 2020, Kellogg has interviewed almost 100 pastors, lay leaders, and leadership experts to discover what it takes for a church to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus despite the pandemic-induced shutdowns. His project includes a website, thepostcovidchurch.com, a podcast, a YouTube channel, Facebook group, and even an app. And we'll include all those links for you in the show notes. You can check it out there. We had a great discussion with Stuart. I think you guys are going to love it. And of course, we tie it back to how we as men can step up in the church and play a role in the post-COVID church. So let's jump into our interview with Stuart Kellogg. Stuart Kellogg, welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, man. We're grateful to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Matt. I really appreciate it. Appreciate uh, you and Chris taking the time to talk about me and the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, gosh, I don't know if there's a more relevant <laughs> book that I've seen come out recently than what your your book uh, is. So I'm really excited to talk about it, to learn about the things that you've learned through your research um, and to hear a little bit more about uh, what you've found in terms of how churches can move forward 
here in, in the post-COVID church, the title of your book, an action plan uh, to thrive, not just survive. And so, um, yeah, excited to talk about that. And again, the connection for me is it, our podcast is for men and a lot of the men who listen to our podcast um, are leaders in their churches or will be leaders in their churches. And so that that's a big connection for me. Uh, in terms of what we're talking about today. Uh, so I'm looking forward to guys hearing this perspective and then and then we can distill it down maybe to more um, men ministry specific things as well. Um, but before we get to any of that, let's start first of all with your your fence poster. We'd love to hear a little bit about your background, um, your faith journey and uh, and again, you think about a fence post that you know sits along a property, we're looking for the posts, kind of those, most significant moments in your life or people in your life that molded you into who you are today or played a role in molding you. God ultimately is uh, sculpting you like a clay pot. <laughs> so um, yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Stuart. We're excited to hear more about you. Well, starting where I am now, I'm a retired TV executive. I, I had been on air and then uh, in management the last 25 years uh, running an ABC station for the Hearst television company. And I've been retired about six years. But the probably the first fence post, of course, in family, in our family, uh, growing up in the Northeast, um, always belonged to a church, um, but not really engaged. Um, I would go to youth group as I became a teen, but it was uh, in the time, uh, in the 60s now. Um, I joke that uh, I heard and remember more about hearing about Angela Davis, a, a radical <laughs> uh, <laughs> member of the Communist Party uh, from the pulpit than about Jesus Christ. Um, wow. And so I, I saw a term uh, 10 years ago or so, and I, I loved it. I was a functional Unitarian uh, in the church. It was Presbyterian. Of course, it hadn't split, but it was the hmm. liberal Presbyterian church. And, and it was okay, talk about God, Jesus twice a year, and uh, don't you dare talk about the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so uh, so grew up with no, uh, very little biblical background. Um, probably the biggest first fence post, um, I went to Syracuse University, uh, upstate, lots of snow, lots of bad weather, and it was a spring day, a gorgeous spring day. We didn't have a lot of them. <laughs> And I remember distinctly sitting on at the quad, and I remember I was reading a Newsweek article about the Tenerife plane crash. And this was back, I want to say in 76, two 747s on the ground in in the Canary Islands ran into each other. I think it was five or 600 were killed. I mean, a horrific and Whoa. I was reading about I don't it. remember hearing about that. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was two 747s they, uh, wow. as they were both taking off. It was horrible. And this fellow came next to me and said hi. And I said hello. And um, we talked a bit. And then he said, <laughs> you know, if you died today, would you go to heaven? So he was from uh, Campus Crusade. And I had never heard of that. And, of course, my answer, that stock answer, well, yes, I've been good. and you know, and it was a bit raw. My dad uh, had only a couple of years before died. Um, that was always in the back of my mind. Um, but he left. And uh, as, as Greg Kokel in tactics calls it, there was a pebble in my shoe <laughs> as I would think about this, because uh, he talked a bit about uh, Christ and what it meant, but it didn't really register. And then I moved to Alabama from Syracuse. <laughs> so here I am in the middle of the, the Bible belt. And I started hearing about a personal relationship with Christ. And it, it didn't make sense. And then it did make sense. Um, and I can remember it's 43 years ago this spring and, and on a Monday morning alone in my apartment, getting on my knees and asking Christ into my life. And um so that was a very big fence post moment. <laughs> I remember going to the pastor. I was at a Presbyterian USA church and telling him about it. And I'll never forget his response. That's nice. Um, <laughs> no <so>. way. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 
I uh, shortly thereafter uh, met Beth, who became my wife, and she was uh, farther along in her journey, uh, which helped me. Uh, but and then uh, we raising our two children and in church and was more engaged with it. But probably the next big fence post um, is I was getting involved in uh, a small group in Mississippi. I'd now moved to Mississippi running a station. And I'd never been in a small group, never prayed out loud. So it it was a long walk that way. And then there was, uh, I was running a TV station, had a a fellow who did some commentaries. I knew he was at a seminary. And I said, you know, now I was in a United Methodist Church. This Wesley guy seems kind of interesting. (laughs) So we had lunch and he brought seven books with him. And and the first book I'll never forget was uh, Britain Before and After Wesley. Uh, written in 1938, a fascinating book about the culture and what John Wesley did in the culture. Yeah. The church was corrupt. The kids were being left to die. Cheap gin had come in. It, it's just hmm. a fascinating read. Um, and so he said, why don't you come to seminary? <laughs> so the next step was we've got this professor coming who retired from Asbury. Uh, Dr. John Oswalt had, has written the NIV commentary on Isaiah. He's one of the foremost evangelical experts on Isaiah. Wow. And so that was my first course at Isaiah, <laughs> the Old <laughs> Testament, wow. which I didn't know a lot about. So that was the next big fence post <laughs> in that way. And then getting involved deeper in uh, uh, in the word and how it worked in very various ministries. And after graduate took me, I went nights and weekends, took me. Uh, six years, seven years. Hmm. Um, I uh, signed up and was part of Chuck Colson. I studied under Chuck Colson, uh, which is now called the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. It's the fellows program. Then it was called a centurion. I was in one of the first classes. Hmm. And uh, so got to study with Chuck Colson and the others about what a Christian worldview is. Hmm. And that totally opened the mind. So that hmm. was another big fence post. And I have loved teaching worldview since and been been engaged in that way and um, got involved. As I said, certain ministries started a prison ministry, a part of business ministry. Um, and Beth and I, our plan had always been to retire early. We had always lived that way so that we could. Um, and uh, since then, been been retired about uh, six and a half years, have been involved in various ministries. And then probably the last fence post as far as what happened was COVID came and and then this project yeah. started. I'm sorry for a long one, but no, that's no, it's great. <laughs> that's perfect, man. That's great, Stuart. It, very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. So you went to seminary for, you said six years, at least six years to yes. get your seminary degree. That, right. That's I've a, got a 60 hour of master's. I didn't have an, uh, I don't have an MD. I have a, a master's. My wife, she was, after I get, I was in, I think the third class, she said, you're not going to be a pastor. Right? <laughs> I said, I don't have that patience or mentality. I don't, I told her, I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I decided mm-hmm. to take it for credit from the beginning. So I, I would have something. <laughs> Interesting. I was going to ask you why you did it, because I mean, I, I always enjoy a good study and, and, you know, a good class, but going the whole way and getting your, your degree is, uh, is a big step. So wh- why do you think you did that? It was God, was God prompting you to do that? Clearly. And uh, I'd love to read and learn and teach and it prepped that. And I just, yeah. and I was surrounded <clears throat> by these folks, uh, the professors and students from around the world. Uh, Wesley, in fact, is the most integrated seminary still is in, in the U.S. It's an unbelievably rich uh, group of folks from various backgrounds. And um to, to be surrounded by folks who thought through things biblically. It just put all the pieces together. I mean, taking a mm-hmm. systematic theology class from Bill Urey, it's like, it's like taking water from a fire hydrant, but it was, it was this so much information. And I just loved it in organizing it and learning and then put, I'd love to put it into practice because I was mm-hmm. teaching Sunday school at the time and I was learning things, but put it in ways that people could understand and so, yes, definitely the Holy Spirit just pushing that way um, to open different doors. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I, I was a pastor as I was finishing up seminary, and I, I relate to you in terms of like 
going to seminary and then having that, that place to kind of, uh, what do we call it? Like that incubator in a sense for that theology to kind of take root and then take action and in your ministry. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I love that process too, but I have the same degree, I believe very similar. The, uh, Masters in theology or Christian studies or whatever they call it nowadays. Christian studies. That's that's. Yes. I'm still on the the board of Wesley Biblical Seminary, and uh, it's it's an exciting group. It does. Uh, it was doing because of different issues. It had started uh, doing a lot of um, Zoom because it has students from around the world, but also uh, because of the issues a lot of seminaries have, and so it had a smaller footprint. So it was in a perfect position once COVID came. So it really exploded and. Just love oh, sharing cool. and and watching what the different folks do. You know, you think about seminary. Well, they're all come out and be pastors. Well, that's not. They go in lots of different ways, including in business and just uh, yeah, yeah, touching so, the culture that way. Yeah, right. So then, okay. So you weren't going to be a pastor, but your ministry is kind of to pastors now, in a sense. When you write a book called "The Post COVID Church: An Action Plan to uh, to." thrive, not just survive. You probably talked to a lot of pastors and I'm, I'm, I'm also curious as to what kind of was the impetus for you for the book, because if you weren't interested in being a pastor, I, I just imagine what, well, well, some, somehow God pricked your heart, not to just be a passive consumer in church is, is what it sounds like. It, you, you sound like you're somebody who, who uh, takes seriously your role as, as being part of the body. I liked um, bridging that idea of, of being a, a businessman or again, a CEO of a, a local uh, arm of a, a pretty big company. And um, I, I enjoyed that part of it uh, and liked, and I did help some churches from an organizational point of view, uh, not to the level you and Chris are doing, but uh, I did help uh, just folks that I, I met um, to organize or just to think things through organizationally. And um, so along those lines, I, we had recently moved after Mississippi, moved to Georgia to help take care of my uh, dad's mom, uh, dad, my mom, my wife's dad, <laughs> excuse me, my wife's dad uh, was widowed and ill. And uh, we were able to, to move there. He lived near us. And as we said, give him a couple extra years of independence. Uh, and after he passed away, we moved back. We left uh, Alabama in the mid 80s where I met Beth and we had the kids. And we, so we moved back a couple of years ago um, and I was looking for different opportunities. I always love talking to pastors about background and, and offer help. Um, the doors don't always open and we can talk about that a little bit, mm -hmm. which was a little frustrating. But as the doors closed because of COVID, it just I was looking at two different reactions. And the one I called the turtle churches that hunkered down and were just waiting for everything to return to normal. I said, that's, that ain't going to work. Um, mm -hmm. But then I was looking and seeing examples of churches that were saying, this is why we're here and we're going out. And it just struck me. Oh, what a contrast. I love contrast. You know, the mm -hmm. Bible's full, full with comparisons and contrasts mm -hmm. and also uh, action and reaction and then uh, consequences to action. So that all filled. So I started talking to folks and I wrote um, a column. Uh, and I was thinking how to get it published and I was working in the yard and, uh, all of a sudden this name popped in my head named Joe Stratinger. Joe Stratinger is very much into high tech and social media runs edge theory. Uh, he was a centurion part of the Colson program before I was, that's how we met. Uh, and he lived in Mississippi. I hadn't talked to him in five years and I texted him and said, this is what I'm doing. He texted right back. He said, let's talk at five o'clock. And so he cleared his deck. He's got so many projects going, but he made time. And he said, I love what you're doing. A column, you'll put it in. Somebody will read it, say, that's nice. It'll be done. He said, you need to get, make this a project. You need to get on social media. I was not uh, in, into Facebook, didn't have a personal page, had a professional when I worked, but didn't have a personal page. Started that. Then he said, start a group. Um then we walk through how to do uh, the podcast. So if I'm interviewing, I might as well, might as well use that. And uh, because I've got production background, let's make a podcast. Uh, a fellow who used to uh, work for me in, in television now runs an, an app uh, company, uh, Brad McMullen. Uh, uh, and he said, I love what you're doing. I'm going to give you an app. 
Um, hmm. I built a wow. website with, with the help of Matt Ayers the, from the seminary. I, if somebody told me I would build a website. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I just kept building this and talking to people who would tell me about other people I should talk to um, to get these ideas. So instead of just a column, made it a blog um, on the Facebook group and then the website and then the podcast. And it just grew that way. And then about, I had done um, almost 50 podcasts and, and all these uh, blogs. And my wife, a uh, retired English teacher, said, you need to write a book. And I said, do a book. <laughs> I've never done a book. Um, but then I realized with more prodding and prayer that I had done all the interviews. And so mm. it would mm. be of use. And she was saying, and after retiring as a teacher, she ran a speakers bureau and, and a PR company for authors. And she said, boy, having a book when you can go out and speak makes a difference. And so that began that process, which which took quite a while just to organize. So that's how okay. it became the book saying, can this be um, a, a value to the church by sharing these ideas, kind of prodding, giving a little historical background and see what happens. Stuart, you were, you were observing and you were talking to people in addition to um, getting things set up on social media and the website set up and doing other types of research. Tell us what were the main things that you were hearing from people in the, let's say the first six months after you decided to embark on this project? What were the, what were the main themes you were hearing from, from pastors and other people in the church world with respect to COVID? From the laity first, frustration. Okay. Um, frustration, obviously with what was going on, but a, a lot of members of these turtle churches saying, this, this is nuts. We, we should be doing something. Right. Uh, one told me, uh, you know, especially these churches taking federal money, they're, get, they're getting paid. They have, what are they doing all day? No mm -hmm. one's coming in there. And these are churches that, you know, they weren't calling their members and that. So, uh, so a lot of it was the frustration. From those, and really, I talked to mostly people uh, who were doing things. So from them, it was opportunity and saying, this is what we're here for. This is what the church is for. Um, also, the clear-eyed ones, a realization that on the other side, whatever that meant, uh, it wasn't going back to normal. It was a new normal, they would say, or it's going to be very different, and it's going to be tougher. And it's going to um, uh, be smaller and we're going to have a harder job and there are going to be fewer churches. You layer on that what was happening in culture. Uh, it Everything was rapidly <laughs> secularization had uh, really gotten into overdrive. And it was kind of that perfect storm of, ooh, this is going to be tougher to do. Um, but I, I tell you, the, the pastors who were doing things, I talked to a lot of management experts and those who uh, had been pastors and now are helping churches uh, like you, uh, Chris, helping them organize and do that sort of thing. And uh, from them, not one was negative. Now, maybe if they're negative, they wouldn't have talked to me, I, I, mm -hmm. but self-selected. But by design, they were doing things and they were saying, this is opportunity. This is, this is opportunity. And from small things, and I use this in in the in the book, Chip Henderson, Pine Lake Church. It has now half a dozen satellites in Mississippi, tens of thousands of members. They called every member in the first couple of weeks. And a friend of mine's a member of the church. He he told me he said, "You won't believe this. I got a call." You know, and but they just said, "We're going to use uh, this is important to stay connected." You know, and so it it was for those I talked to looking at it. Yes, it's going to be tough, but this is the opportunity for the church uh, to be the church. Mm. That's great. Yeah, that it's funny you say that. That I I was um, I was a pastor at a church, and thankfully, at least so far, our church fall, does not fall in the category of, of turtle church. We definitely. I remember calling hundreds. Because we have, uh, I don't know, we have normal attendance of, I don't know, between 1,500 and 2,000 on a weekend. Um, and so it was, it's a sizable church, but divided up among all of our staff, you still had between two and 500 people to call. <laughs> 
And so we spent weeks calling people. Um, and it was actually probably one of the, the most significant things I think we've done as a church in, in a long time, in a long time, people responded so positively. They couldn't believe that you're calling me to check in on me. What? Um, yeah, it, 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 that was an opportunity to really, really uh, minister to the people in your church. And Mike, I've got a couple of questions for you, having just said that. Mm. So um, did you call them more than once or was it just that initial effort and then kind of back to business as usual? Good question. Uh, we it, it was an initial call, yes, because of the vast number of people we were calling. Right. I only called once. I got some people on the phone. Others, I um, we played phone tag, so I did end up calling some back. Mm-hmm. Um, others uh, did call me back, or a lot of people didn't. Some people didn't call back at all. Right. So, so there's a little bit of all that. Does that make sense? Yeah. But, and but initially, my- we just called once. Yeah. Okay. And my other question was, did you reconvene as a staff and then talk about what you had heard or was it more, okay, Mike, you've got these 300 people, just, you know, make sure you contact every one of them. Try, you know, did did you, did you reconvene and discuss what you heard? Um, As an adult ministry team, we did. Okay. Not as, I don't, not as a whole staff, which as you say, that might've been, might've been better, but we had an adult ministry team that, uh, um, there are probably four or five, five or six of us basically that uh, that talked a little bit about our experiences, and we shared some things that some of the other staff shared with us with their phone calls. But um, yeah, but that that was it. Not as a whole staff. Okay, and Stuart, yeah. I uh, think of um, uh, JP Pocluda, who's at uh, Harris Creek Baptist in Texas, and again a friend of a friend. I think uh, fairly large church sounds like about your size, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps a little larger. But it was interesting when he told he said they had already kind of started in this uh, as he saw where the culture was going saying, you know, we, we may be where it's going to be harder to gather and say what we believe. And, Hmm. and he said, uh, so I was kind of prepping. And then when all this happened, he said, the staff immediately, I added digital to what they did Uh, Mm -hmm. by digital, meaning connecting digitally. I thought there was, he said, it wasn't Hmm. an option. It wasn't a choice whether you're a music minister or child that you now have that added <laughs> to mm. your uh, job description, because you're going to have to get into that space and part of the small groups and then house groups and this sort of thing. Did some of that, do you think um, have, how do I say this? Like was my guess is it some of the people who were younger on staff probably had an easier time with that, or maybe had already been doing it to some extent. Was it harder for those who've been around a while to, to add that? I didn't ask him that, but okay. and, and the, the, the sense I got is his staff's pretty young anyway. Uh, but, you okay. know, that that was more more natural. But then I look at it and say, if I can figure out how to make a website, anybody. Can. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, but so much of it is just the old fact, just the, like you say, just the phone call. It's the connection. It's the relationship. And especially with men. I don't tell you guys that that, that's what's missing uh, in lives, not just in the church with the church. Um, But boy, that was, that was so appreciated and it was so obviously missing on on, uh, both ends of that spectrum. So one of the things we were talking about before we started the interview, uh, Chris said he had been listening to a couple of your podcasts and the, the word that you brought up in some of those interviews, as far as churches was had to do with trauma and the trauma that churches had been through. And, and, and I think <clears throat> I share with you my, my inclination being a pastor and knowing other pastors and, and actually now meeting with pastors on a regular basis. Um, I think the mentality of the pastor is maybe, maybe to kind of just let's keep moving forward. Let's keep moving forward and, and maybe skip over maybe recognizing the fact that the church has had some, some bigger trauma. Um, could you speak to that a little bit? Um, what have you noticed in terms of that and, and how pastors effectively address that? And they usually don't. And number one reason is because it has to do with mental health and it's something hmm. they don't want to talk about. And I'll take a little rabbit trail here. One of the things, and this is back in the mid nineties, um, is depression. And I'd always had a bit of it, but it, it got pretty bad. Hmm. Um, reached out, had help. Um, it's, uh, 
to cope. And, um, you know, I have made it a point in church to talk about that because guys don't talk about it. Right. Uh, I needed help. And I had a lot of stress, a lot of things that were going on. And, um, and so I, part of it is that especially men, especially men in leadership, um, don't want to acknowledge that. And so this falls into that bucket of mental health. Um, and I'm even in the, in the workplace and I was open. I dealt with employees with it. I said, look, I've been there <laughs> and it's not shame. Um, and so let's, let's, let's talk about it and, and work on it. And so I was a little more sensitive to that, I think, because of what I've been through and thought. And so I reached out to some mental health experts and, and to talk about it. And, you know, one, uh, three different psychologists and, and one, she, she was just so, this is, uh, this is case study. Of course it's trauma. There's no, you know, and again, she was trained that way. You, you, you check the boxes, right? You go through, you check the boxes, how you're feeling. And, and they give you a score. This, this is red light trauma. I think that's the term she is, this is red light. Um, and so the people do it and those outside, but the leadership, it was not obvious. And I think part of it is they wanted to get back to where we were. Right. So we don't have to fool with this stuff. Right. But, but look and look now, um, mental health at kids. And, you know, we go into Zooming school and it, lots of lots of issues, fear and that sort of thing. But that was the kids and the adults. Um, and it, and it wasn't dealt with. And a lot of it, again, just relationships and talking and just being there as a part of it. Um, one of the things that one of the psychologists talked to, and she's African-American and was very blunt. In fact, two of the psychologists were and said, look, our church, they pointed out, you know, that's an even bigger problem. That's what they, they know, know best, but it is a universal issue. And it's just something that not comfortable to talk about, but it is, it is a typical trauma. And we're now seeing what's the fallout from the mm-hmm. trauma. Um, uh, people are gone. Where are they? Or they're not engaged in that. Um, I just think that is so critical to move forward. But again, when I try to look in this book, in the project is looking forward and, and being positive. Okay. This is now up there. It was harder to talk about. I think before now we have an event that we can talk about. Everybody can nod and say, yeah, that was traumatic to me. Okay. Now let's talk more about mental health and and what it means. But again, it's, it's got to start at the top and has to be acknowledged and it too infrequently is. Um, Mike and Stuart, you work with a lot more pastors than I do. I mean, I, I've worked with some and over the years I've worked with some, um, would it be true to say that we talk, Mike and I talk a lot about how men tend to isolate, you know, we have very few close friends, very few close male friends. I would think that for pastors, that's an even bigger issue because, you know, there's not a lot of people in your church in whom you can confide because you're the pastor or you're a pastor. So I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would think that this was a tra- this was traumatic not just for churches but for pastors because it made them isolate even more. I mean now now they're not interacting with a whole lot of anybody very often because we're all stuck in our homes. Is that true that 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 was that made it even more traumatic for a lot of pastors just that they became completely isolated? Well, Matt, you you deal with, with them one on one and more continuing basis, so you I'm sure have a better feel for that than me. But in a short point, I'd, I'd say that is always been an issue at the top. And, and this made it made it worse. And frankly, it's the top of any organization. I, I found that as a CEO. Okay, uh, I had to have a, a buddy of mine in the company, uh, who I could say things I couldn't tell my boss to, to my boss, you know, that, that's yep. what right. Yeah, no, and I Yeah, no, I think that's, that's definitely right. I, as I've as I meet with pastors right now, probably that I've been surprised at how, how many issues they're, they're dealing with and struggling with. And their church doesn't even know. Right. Um, Cause they haven't, they, they don't have anybody safe to talk to. Um, meanwhile, I come along who's, you know, <laughs> who's been a pastor can relate to some extent and am not attached to their church and want to hear about their ministry. And it's just like, 
just comes out, (laughs) you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Some things that some pastors have shared with me. Yeah. And, and there's a bit of, and this goes to another facet of what I talk about, but there's also a bit of insecurity there. Um, and so they don't want to be seen as weak. If I bring this up, which is, we all feel that way to me, it's, it ties to, uh, and I talk about this in the book, uh, the reluctance of most church leaders to tap, I call it talent in the pews, um, mm-hmm. because of the, a bit of that insecurity or will this take away my power or whatever it is. And so I think this fits in that same, same bucket. So I wanted to get back to, to Mike's church for a second. And so you guys took a great first step, which was, you know, pretty early. It sounds like pretty early on you said, okay, we're going to reach out to everybody. We're going to try to establish some contact with folks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, divided up the entire, a big congregation among the, the staff, made sure you contacted everybody, met with at least a, a group of staff and talked about what you had heard. And, and um, so Stuart, Obviously, that was a that was a good first step for any church. Were there other kind of best practices that emerged that you saw churches doing beyond? Okay, let's 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 contact everybody. And how did they share these best practices? I mean, do, do the the non turtle church leaders have kind of a network where they, because a lot of them are isolated, at least in general. How, how did they kind of share what they were doing and what was working? Yeah, I think some examples of it, and this this is some small churches I talked to that said, okay, we're shut down. Let's, uh, how do we do the, if you will, truly a house church, because they're individuals, what can mm-hmm. we provide? And some uh, were able to get, uh, I can't remember the name of the company that provided some youth material anyway, and they were able to share that electronically um, for the kids specifically. And when things loosened up a bit and there were uh, smaller groups, even though if the church wasn't open, uh, they were doing uh, uh, community groups. They were already in small groups. They had material there. They had material, either a visual, some, some written. So they were providing something to uh, besides just a once a week sermon uh, or mm-hmm. service that they would watch. Right. That was one of them. Uh, I, the sense I've got, again, they had relationships with, with whether it was distributors or with others. Um, again, those newer members, uh, uh, on the, uh, who were there and had, had ideas on how to share a lot of it was uh, the interactive, uh, for example, um, uh, using zoom, not mm-hmm. perfect, but it's better than not having a connection. And so setting up, for example, the Zoom Sunday school classes and saying, okay, we'll use the same material. Let's connect so at least we can talk and do that and be, mm-hmm. people will be used to it. Uh, but that surprisingly, I mean, to give you an example uh, where I was, I mean, it wasn't, let's all do it. I mean, it was our own class saying we're going to do it and then told them about it. To me, it was kind of an obvious thing, mm-hmm. um, but it was uh, using those materials uh, to connect that way. Your so your book is an action plan, and so I, I love that. First of all, I love that, um, especially when it comes to you know our, our target audience is men. That's exactly what we want. Give yeah. us an action plan. Right? <laughs> Can you give us an overview, just a quick summary of that action plan? Well, I and I each uh, chapter includes some depending what mm-hmm. we're talking about. So. You know, a lot of the theme is get outside, getting outside the wall and tying into what's going on in culture. So, Mm -hmm. so an example was, you know, from the racial issue, you know, is there no better um, worldview than the Christian worldview to to heal racial Mm. reconciliation? Absolutely not. We've already been reconciled, Jew and Greek. It's already been done. Now, how do you carry it out? It's another thing. And that's the point. How do we use that to carry it out? How can we use it to contrast to the critical theory uh, that says we're all in a box and you're oppressor or oppressed? I mean, that's so unbiblical. Um, so what I felt what a perfect time. And I'm not saying the whole churches, but do you do a couple of, of uh, you know, a dozen from the black church down the road and the white church down the road? Just sit and have coffee once a week. Just talk, just listen to the story. 
Uh, now, I live in the South. Uh, you know, as they famously say, you know, you're next to each other, black and white, but you don't really know each each other, you know? And, um, so do you, do you sit and, and just do that? Do you try it? And maybe it doesn't work, but you try it because you're going outside. Another pastor I talked to this idea of, we've got to start cooperating more, not just with other churches, although that's part of it as well, but also just other organizations who's doing things. Don't, mm-hmm. well, they're not in our denomination or they don't, you know, check all our boxes. Well, no, but they're, they're feeding hungry people. So what can we do to help? Um, my favorite example, and I, and I use it, uh, Robert Hahn uh, in, in Maryland, and he's got a sign when you go into his church, it says, if you're not going to serve, this church isn't for you. I, you know, just put it out and just let right. them know. I mean, does that set the expectation? And he said they had already always done some food things for the kids because they're in rural uh, Maryland. And, and so there's a real issue there. But all of a sudden, the school shut down. And they said, well, we'll have uh, meals for the kids who have free meals. You come pick it up. He said, yeah, that's great. Most are single. The mom's working. They're having to drive 15 miles. To, this isn't going to work. Right. And so he came up with his group. He said, all right, what are we going to do? And he's, and so he called the sheriff's department. He said, what are your resource officers doing? Nothing, because the schools are closed. Mm-hmm. So he got the resource officers to bring the food to the kids uh, out in the county, and the sheriff was all for it. And I loved how he goes. The guys who are normally knocking down the kicking down the doors are now delivering food. So there was a, a, a benefit <laughs> yeah, of cool. connecting. Right. That's why the sheriff was all for it. Hey, I love it. Yeah. Well, where'd that come from? That came from we got to do something. These kids aren't going to have any food. Yes, it's quote being provided, but they can't get to it. So a lot of the action plans are are outside. Not all of them though, because some are. What are you doing to connect and and to connect more closely with those who are inside? What talents? And to me, this is a key thing. Um, everything's changed now as far I should be changing as far as roles because the environment's changing out there. Um, again, the turtle churches, everybody's going to just do the same old thing. Well, I'm not sure that's going to work real well. So how do you tap in? And this is especially with the men, because I think a, a typical church, uh, evangelical church, uh, the pastors, a man, very few are women, all those leaders, but all the, the ones doing the volunteering, most of them are, are women. I mean, it's just a fact. They're, do, they're, they're being much more active. Um, so where's the expectation for the men? But do you even know the talents that, yeah. that are there that, that, you, can, mm-hmm. that you can use um, uh, to, to connect with? to have an action plan to, to serve, to make disciples. My favorite story, and I was, uh, this is in Georgia. We were there and part of United Methodist Church and got to meet the pastor, a very uh, um, dynamic speaker, and um, told him about my background and willing to help and all that sort of thing. And uh, there was there were some personnel issues in the church. What a shock, right? So things <laughs> going on. And I went up to him because I had just met this fella in our church. He'd been there a couple, in our Sunday school class. He'd been there a couple months. I said, Pastor, do you know that the retired head of human relations worldwide for Union Carbide is in a Sunday school class downstairs? I said, do you think maybe he's got some good ideas? <laughs> and... Pierre was also, he had retired and he put out his shingle as a consultant helping nonprofit. Right. Oh, really? Who is he? Oh, he's fantastic. <laughs> so, so a month later, I, I'm talking to Pierre, you know, did, I won't say his name. Did the pastor call you? No, he's never gotten in touch with me, you know, so it could all be there, but right, right. Gotta engage. <laughs> well, and what you're, what you're describing as a church that's action oriented and, and, and moving outward, like that, this lends itself to, to a man's heart, you yep. know, I, from what I, what we know, Chris, right. Like men want to do, they want yeah, to be shoulder exactly. to shoulder, yep. rocking arms, accomplishing something that they can stand back afterwards and say, wow, look what we did. Um, like there's so much here, low hanging fruit for men to be, to really fulfill their purpose in the church. Well, and they're frustrated because the, the talents and gifts that they have 
don't tend to lend themselves to things in, you know, the worship service or, you know, the the churchy things, right? I mean, they've got talents in other areas, but they're not taken advantage of Hmm. by the typical church. So then they, you know, they show up on Sunday mornings and they sit through the worship service, but they're, they're not being utilized at all. And they, and they really want to. Yeah. And, and, and maybe the church, you know, the new members, you fill out, right. The form and you check the boxes and never to hear from. <laughs> well, and, you know, and the boxes a lot of times are, do you want to work with kids? You know, yeah. we, we need people. Well, no, actually I don't. I mean, I, I, I deal with my own kids, but I don't want to work with young children. And so what's on the list doesn't, you know, I don't tick any of the boxes because none of them are areas where I'm talented or have experience, but I've got a lot, a lot of other things that are not listed and you don't ask me about those. Yep. And I would say to you real quick, just for, for men out there listening to this right now, um, when you look at that list, don't, don't limit yourself to that list. Chances are you have at, at some level within organizational structure of the church, you, your gifts and talents, I think would, could most certainly be utilized somewhere. Um, and it could be that a guy needs to, to reach out to his pastor or, or someone on the staff or, you know, someone in there just to kind of build a relationship there. And, and I, I realize I'm asking the person sitting in the pew to reach out and build a relationship with the church, which right. might seem counterintuitive. <laughs> it won't happen but- otherwise. Well, it may not. Yeah. That's true because yeah. as pastors, we're so reactive and it's so hard to be proactive. Yeah. I spoke with uh, Greg Ligon and Greg was a, a pastor and now he consults and does different things. And, and we talked about this and I love how he put it. He said, all right, you've got the pastor and, and especially a top down. He said, and then you you have a CEO or somebody who's running any organization going 90 to nothing. He said, so you've got different approach. He said that sweet spot is, you know, the, the pastor, the staff willing to look at things differently and and that leader willing to to bring it down a notch and realizing that he's not running a top-down company himself. And so that's yeah. that that sweet spot. But I love Greg's idea is he said, I tell pastors, find everyone in your pew who's running an organization, either volunteer or business with 50 or more people. Mm -hmm. He said, all right, if they're doing that, then they've got skills that that you could use. Um, But, and some of this comes back to the, to the insecurity and Mm -hmm. that pastor's got to give up some control. Things are going to happen that aren't, you know, didn't, didn't work out, but that's okay. Uh, Things that you, you don't control. Uh, you know, George Barna, I spoke to most folks know George Barna. Uh, he's been studying the church as a sociologist for a generation plus. And he said, uh, how do we hire pastors? They teach and preach. Mm-hmm. He said, do you ever look at leadership skills? Do you ever look at how they're trained or what they've done? He said, so then you're surprised when you don't have a strong leader, if those aren't the skills that that you're looking for. And and I had a, uh, I, I was on a, a, a podcast for a seminary. And one of the things he asked is, uh, what can we do better? And my first thing, teach leadership, mm-hmm. you know, put a, put a couple of leadership uh, courses in there. <laughs> it's, it, mm-hmm. it'll be a, a big help. Um, it's not easy, but it's just so critical. A lot of churches, I think even big ones, and and probably some that you wouldn't classify or think of as turtle churches, still have the approach of let's get let's get people here to the church, to the church building. We've got all these programs, we've got all these things going on. If we can just get them here, then we can reach them and we can equip them and and, and all that. And it sounds like we're two years into this, and you know, things are easing up in most parts of the country. And so I, I think that. The default for a lot of these churches is, okay, we we weathered the storm. Let's let's you know now that we can get people back in here. Let's get them in here. And I'm wondering if the examples you gave, Stuart, were about churches that reached out. Let's get out in our community. Let's let's find needs. Let's find organizations we can partner with. Um. So, do you think that we can? go back to the let's bring them in approach now that COVID seems to be waning 
Or do you think that fundamentally all churches to be successful moving forward have to have this different mindset of let's let's go out and do rather than let's bring people in? Yes. It, short term, the old way will, I believe, will work for a little bit, but we're talking about a decade down, they'll be dead or dying. Okay. I, because everything has accelerated. What you're saying is what the church should be doing, right? Right. Um, uh, Tia Moore, who's who's head of Fellowship of the Alba, uh, which is a wonderful thinker, has written about 50 books about it. He said, yeah, our model is come to my church. Let me right. show you what we do rather than come to my church and we're going out to do. Right. Which is kind of biblical. So uh, and because the culture is where it is now, increasingly antagonistic, you know, it used to be is Christianity true and now is, is Christianity good? I mm-hmm. mean, so we've got a whole different discussion. And unless the culture sees the church being that church outside, the, the witness isn't going to matter. And so then you're going to have just inside the gray heads and, uh, you know, what's lost. And I think the other um, key part is reengaging the mind. And I think this is a perfect time for that, uh, uh, the, this whole idea of making sure that we're thinking about what we're doing and engaging the mind more. And that's where Christian worldview comes through too in in that challenge. And then that too is reaching out because you're able to explain and you defend the faith uh, uh, among very contentious issues in, in a biblical way. I brought up race as an example. Um, There's a a great way to to contrast uh, justice, uh, biblical justice with social justice, being able to define what they mean and and how the Bible works through sexuality. My goodness. All right. Uh, Can you speak to from the biblical point of view on why uh, gender is important and, and why marriage is important and why sexuality was important to God? It wasn't just one of those things thrown in there. It's from the first book of the Bible to the end and lots right. in between uh, the, the importance of that. So we have to be able to explain that to at least um, engage that culture and, and help that culture. It's, it's hurting. Uh, I love Bill, Bill Wilson for Center for a Healthy Church. As he put it, it's never been a better time to be a church because the need is out there. So, but we're not going to fit the need here because they ain't coming in. Mm-hmm. Then I don't care how big your building is, they don't want to come in, and even though they need to come in, so we got to go there, which is how it should work anyway. Hmm. You know, it's interesting as you're as you're describing that. I'm thinking of uh, of, of Israel in the Old Testament and how complacent they got, and then how God would uh, sc- kind of scatter them, you know, through uh, well th- through exile, <laughs> which is not a fun thing. <laughs> Right. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting that there, I think there are times in, in our history where God maybe has done this and and this is another time that's come up where, where maybe it's, um, you know, it's a struggle, it's a challenge, but it's an opportunity that, uh, that God is, is giving us. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think of it similarly as the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora around the, the globe, you know? Well, and, uh, I think this ties to it because the culture is more antagonistic and all that's going on in culture, the tendency, and we, we saw it a century ago, the Scopes monkey trail, you know, part, what, one of the fallout after that uh, case in Tennessee about teaching evolution in the Bible, one of the fallout is the quote fundamentalist, uh, which is a term that's bandied around. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love what Chuck Colson said. He goes, I want my pilot to be a fundamentalist know the fundamentals. All right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but, but those with orthodox beliefs went, took their toys and went home and said, we're not going to engage. Well, mm. now here we are. And so I think that's the mm. tendency to, to, to stay and say, look what's happening to the culture and going to Chuck Colson again. I, lo- I love his quote. He said, the problem isn't the world being the world. It's the church, not being the church. So, mm. Mm. you know, this, this is why we've got to get out. Yeah. Great point, man. Stuart, this has been a great conversation, man. I really, really appreciate this. Um, so if folks, if folks wanted to find you online, uh, go get your book, learn more about you, follow you, check out more of your posts where, where, yeah, help them, 
figure out how to connect with you. I love it. The, the book's on Amazon. Uh, okay. It's a soft cover or uh, digital. So that's easy. The post COVID church on Amazon. Mm-hmm. The um, to, to contact me, it's Stuart and it's spelled the right way. S-T-U-A-R-T. <laughs> S-T-U-A-R-T. Uh, at the postcovidchurch.org. Um, the website is the postcovidchurch.com. So it's it's pretty easy. And then all the, the podcast is the post-COVID church podcast. <laughs> so I, I try to keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. That's great. Like like I said, this is this is so obviously so relevant. And I'm really hoping that that guys, you know, men out there look, we yeah, the church is not perfect. No church is right. And, and we, we struggle with, with even wounds from the church often because of how we feel like leadership has done this or that, or how we've been treated, but men, I, I guess, Stuart, you just kind of pricked my heart as we were talking here today. And I'm, so I just want to kind of say, guys, look, if, if you, it's going to take us, um, really engaging with the church, reaching out to our, to the leaders of the church challenging them or, or coming alongside of them and helping to, to move the church, uh, forward in, in a really, in a healthy pro productive and proactive way. Um, so I guess my, my point would be, don't, don't abandon the church, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Give up. <laughs> yeah. Right. I view this as a, it's a great opportunity for guys. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we've complained a lot, a lot of guys, I'll, I'll, I'll say myself included, have complained that, you know, I just, I don't really have a role at church. Right. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got a staff, we've got, you know, all these programs, very few of them are appealing to me. So, you know, I, I do the men's Bible study occasionally, and I, I do this thing over here occasionally, but, you know, I, I show up on Sunday mornings, but there's really not much of a role for me now churches and individuals have to grapple with, you know, bringing them here doesn't work anymore, but every man has the ability to, to be an evangelist, to be a disciple maker, to, to get out there in his circle of friends in the workplace, in his neighborhood, wherever it is and be the church. I I think that a lot of people, myself included, have just gotten lazy over the, all the church will take care of that. The church will do that. No guys, (laughs) that's not, that's not happening anymore. It's not happening much anymore. And now's the time. Now's the time to step up. You've got, you've got unique talents and abilities and experience, make use of it. You know, no more excuses. That's a good point, Chris. And I didn't mean to be, and I'm afraid it can come across sometimes overly bashing, if you will, the staff. And I don't, don't mean to. And as I say in the book, I've never been on a staff and part of a church, but I think that's the flip of the, the talent and the pews no, they're not reaching, but the other part is uh, being more proactive and say, yeah. I want to do something and here's my idea and here's what, what I want to do. Well, and now your book is a great opportunity, I think, for yep. guys. Get the post-COVID church, get get the book, uh, and then read it and then set up a meeting with your pastor and say, yep. hey, I read this amazing book. I, I just want to, I'd love to discuss it with you. And I think that's where it'll come from. I, I was uh, speaking about the book with the, in, in front of the Christian the Businessmen's Connection here in Mobile. And I said, you know, uh, luckily I'm not having to support myself on this. I said, you know, it's targeted to engage lay people and church staff. And I said, church staff is the least likely to take advice from somebody not <laughs> in the group. So I know from a marketing point of view, but I think if we come up from the other direction, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that'll right. work. Well, That's I don't right. think anybody on church staff is going to mind very much if a guy comes to them and says, hey, I've got a couple of friends and I want to do something. You know, I'd like to do a study or I'd like to do something with my my band of brothers. No, nobody's going to say, oh, no, you know, you know, go away. I mean, you know, so guys, you don't have to boil the ocean. Just, you know, hmm. look at your look at the guys in your life and say, hey, what what can I do with these guys? What What can we do? what can we small group of guys do together and what can we do in our community and, and take it from there. Absolutely. Proactive. Yeah. It's biblical. <laughs> All right, guys. So make sure you pick up the book, the post COVID church, Stuart Kellogg. It was great to be with you. I'd love to pray for you before, uh, before you. we head out here. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Heavenly father. Thank you so much for Stuart. Thank you for this time. We've got to spend with him, Lord, and, and the ways you've pricked his heart and, uh, 
uh, pulled this information um, out and through him in some ways, even too, or he's done his own research and learned. And God, I just, I'm grateful for the ways you've worked um, to pull this resource together. I pray God that you would uh, open up doors and avenues, Lord, to be able to, to bring this information to the church. I pray God that um, this would be a resource that would help to revive uh, the church and especially just, just in their, in their mission to, um, to, to go and to reach and, and to, uh, uh, to minister to our communities, our hurting communities right now, Lord. So thank you for, for Stuart. Pray your continued um, guidance for him, strength for him, Lord, and, and for his family. Protect his family, Lord, and may these just be beautiful, amazing years, Lord, as you use him um, in, uh, in really meaningful and profound ways in, uh, in the body of, of, in your body, the church, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.